Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. This is a reading from Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the multitudes who assembled to see the sight, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and all the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance and saw these things. This is the word of the Lord. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everyone. It's great to gather with you. We are in the season that the church tradition calls the season of Lent, which is just the weeks that uh, prepare us for, uh, for Easter. During this time, we've been considering the statements that Jesus said upon the cross uh, there is a couple of, uh, there's a couple of issues that we oftentimes have when we see Jesus upon the cross. It's the central symbol of our uh, shared faith. And sometimes with symbols, they become so common that they don't hold much meaning. Uh, for some people, the cross can be reduced to things too simple, too small, like the cross is just a way for God to fix the sin problem the problem of dividing us and us and God. And Jesus did do that upon the cross, but there's something more to it. Upon the cross, we see not only God, um, not only God saving us and abolishing the, the power of sin in our life, but we also see a demonstration of who God is, who, who's God's character upon the cross. Um, we see a picture of a God that is full of compassion, mercy, and love. Now, we could also just stop there. We could stop there and just have this be a picture of who Jesus is. But what we need to remember is that the central invitation that Jesus gave humanity was to follow him. It wasn't just to believe in him or worship him or adore him. But the central invitation that Jesus gave again and again and again was, come and follow me. Watch how I live. Watch how I love. Learn from me. Follow my example. And the interesting thing is a natural byproduct of a life following and knowing Jesus, natural byproduct is love, adoration, worship. This is important because when we come to the cross, we easily can just make this seven statements that Jesus said upon that uh, instrument of death as insights of who God's character is. And that's good, but these are also invitations that come to you and I this season of Lent, of how we follow Jesus. Perhaps this is why Jesus said, if anyone would want to be his disciple, his follower, his apprentice, you must pick up your own cross and follow me. With that in mind, let's have a, a quick recap of the previous five statements that we've discussed together as a community. First, there was the statement of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In this uh, invitation we have is calling 
for us to be people of extravagant forgiveness as we extend that to this world. Secondly, we had this gracious promise of hope. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That statement uh, gives us such an assurance that we will be with God forever. It gives us this promise of heaven. Third was the gift of community. Jesus upon the cross looks at his, his mother and a beloved friend, John, and says, Mother, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. And we see this as how we, as followers of Christ, we, we see now that at the foot of the cross, we belong to each other. Like, I belong to you. You belong to me. This is what Jesus did there in those dying breaths. Fourth, we had that honest, hard question, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see here Jesus demonstrating and inviting us to demonstrate as well in our own life the ability to be honest with God with our hard questions, that God is big enough for our doubt, big enough for the pain that we carry, And we also see in Jesus that we will never be alone in our suffering, in our own forsaken moments that we have a Savior who is there with us. So here we are. Oh, last week, we also had the the fifth statement, which is, I thirst. And in doing so, Jesus displays for us what it means to be human is to be thirsty. And Jesus uh, demonstrates it's okay to be thirsty, people, but it's where we take our thirsts. And upon the cross, we find... Jesus, who poured himself out like a living fountain, living water poured out for you and I. And so today, here we are in Palm Sunday, and we come to the sixth statement. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If you were to summarize that statement in a word, what word would you choose? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What word might you choose? This is all play. I'm actually inviting you to respond audibly. Surrender. Did Christy take everyone's answer? Faith. Hope. Belief. These are all, yeah, these are all, I mean, all of these things are wrapped up in that single statement. Father, into your hands, commit my spirit. Those words are things that we appreciate what Jesus had said upon the cross. But they're not words that we easily embrace in our own lives. Like we, we appreciate that Jesus demonstrates surrender and hope and faith, but when it comes to us in our own life experiences, we'd rather just appreciate that from afar. A couple of things we know about these statements is that they're hard for us to live out. This word to commit, into your hands I commit, my spirit. This word commit means to offer or to present, means to set before someone in a very close and personal way. Uh, the most common way in which we find this word in our New Testament is when uh, someone places a meal before someone else, they are committing it. They're presenting it before someone else. And so here Jesus upon the cross is releasing, he's presenting his spirit to his Father. And this is, even though we just heard Jesus say, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you think about the experience he was going through, 
the pain, the abandonment, the divine silence that he was experiencing from his father, what a shocking and powerful declaration of faith. Into that void, Father, I believe your hands are right there, and so I'm going to give you my spirit. Jesus demonstrates what it means to be confident in trusting in God, a God who's faithful. Jesus here surrendered the last thing he had, his spirit, into that divine silence, that chasm of forsakenness. He surrenders his spirit into his Father's hands. Doesn't it seem like the Christian life is oftentimes placed between those two statements that Jesus said? One hand, God, why have you forsaken me? Our honest, guttural truth, when we come to these moments of sorrow and suffering, we have parts of our life that are on this side, and in between that is the other statement, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Statements of honesty, of painful honesty, of where are you, God, while at the same time those moments of courageous trust that I believe that you're here. I believe that I can, I can surrender my spirit knowing that you are faithful and you're good. The challenge for us, I believe, is that it seems like a life with God is quite often one lesson presented in 10,000 ways. And that central lesson is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And it comes in 10,000 different ways over and over and over again to us because oftentimes following God means for us to leave our comforts, leave um, our control and step into vulnerable places where we have to remember that God is good. This is why we see uh, God leading his people so very well through a desert. <laughs> That's like a central narrative in our, in our scripture is to be following God in a desert a place of great scarcity, but it's there where the people learned to trust God. More importantly, another way to say it is they began to learn that God was trustworthy. We love the idea of trusting God, but we don't like the way in which we learn to trust God, which is when it's the only thing we can do, when we have to trust, when we do step into the unknown, when we have that pang of vulnerability that is so very clear to us when we know that we're dependent upon someone greater than ourselves. This is not easy. That's probably the under, uh, understatement of the day. This is not easy, learning to trust God. Yet surrendering is a painful gift that God wants to give each of us. Because oftentimes surrendering, committing, releasing is a form of detachment. It is good for our souls when we detach our claim, our value, our hope, our ultimate meaning from the things of this world, things that will eventually disappoint us. It is good for a parent to release a child to God because there will be a day when that parent realizes that they cannot protect their beloved child from the pains of life. Or eventually eye-rolling, right? Right? It is good to surrender the carefully crafted career path that we have in our mind. It's good for us to commit that to God because when we are overlooked, we feel the pain of being undervalued. We've already experienced the sense of release, a sense of surrender. It's good that Jesus' value was detached from the hollow praise of the people on Palm Sunday. It was good that he was not like Mark Charbonneau, recovering people pleaser. 
It was good when he heard the cries of Hosanna that Jesus knew that his value, his worth, was committed somewhere else. It was committed to the Father. Jesus invites us into this declaration because the life of a faithful surrender to God is for our own good. Another thing to note about this declaration that Jesus says here, this statement, this is not something that Jesus made up. Once again, the second time we have heard Jesus uh, upon the cross, he actually is reciting a psalm, a psalm from our scripture, Psalm 31. Uh, I'm going to read the first five verses. I want you to hear the context of this psalm, where it came from. So this is Psalm 31, 1 through 5. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, the strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock, my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set before me, for you are my refuge. And in verse 5, we find these words. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. This is a psalm that clings to hope. Though someone is in the midst of trials, even someone sees traps before them, they are declaring, into your hands I am trusting myself. Into your hands I'm releasing myself. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. New Testament scholar William Barclay, uh, as he was studying these different psalms, he, he found that this psalm had a particular use for the Jewish community, that this was the prayer that parents taught their kids as they were tucking them in for night, for the night. That parents would oftentimes, uh, as they were, they were teaching their children, as they were closing their eyes, that they'd be taught to pray, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's a little bit uh, kinder than the prayer that we teach our kids, which is, as I lay down myself to sleep, I pray that my soul you would keep, like, right? It's like this almost like I'm, I might die tonight. Like, it's a little bit better than that version. And so we find here that, uh, that, that uh, they, they were, would recite this. Into your hands I commit my spirit. If that were the case, just think about this for a second. I imagine Mary, Mother Mary, kneeling at Jesus' bedside while he was a young child, tucking him in for the night and teaching him to say those same words, into your hands I commit my spirit. And here now, 30 years later, as a different kind of darkness is settling in, Jesus is recalling that that very prayer, even with Mary at at Jesus' feet in a different way, he could she could hear him say again, God, I give this to you. Into your hands I release my spirit. This is a painful prayer of trust. It's the same prayer that we say when a child is dedicated, God, into your hands I give you this child. It's the prayer that we oftentimes will say when we step into a doctor's office, we walk into that difficult discussion with a boss or a partner, God, I give this over to you. I trust you with this. I've never been to the Holy Land, but I hear from a lot of people uh, that their favorite place is the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, oftentimes, as people's favorite places, they remember that this is the same 
garden in which Jesus prayed on that last night as he was about to be arrested. He gathered with some friends and prayed in that place. Jesus went there in those final moments of freedom before he was taken away to be questioned, tortured, and crucified. And what we find there is that Jesus in his prayers, he was he was already practicing this prayer of surrender. He was already rehearsing, already releasing himself to his Father. He, uh, he said in Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I'm presenting it to you. If you can, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. That Jesus is already surrendering himself in that honest moment. He knows that cup of suffering and death is before him. And if you are willing, Father, if you're willing, take this away from me. But then he commits himself, he releases himself, but not my wills, but yours be done. Many ways, the decision of whether or not Jesus would be faithful upon the cross was made in that moment. It was that moment where Jesus surrendered himself with an open-handed posture of trust. It seems like we can go through life with Clenched hands or open hands? Clenched hands seems to be the default posture in our life. We want control or the mirage of control, right? Control, dependability, possession, provision. Yet there's a subtle problem that happens in our life when we, when we live through life with hands clenched and closed. It's not only do we withhold ourselves and our possessions from God and from the needs of others, but we also don't have the capacity to receive anew from God. Clenched hands close us off from being ready to embrace that which God would have for us. I was struck recently by the poetic words from a spiritual director and author, Macarena Wiedeker. Uh, she wrote some beautiful words. It's kind of a longer quote, so allow me to read what she shared as she made a confession about this difficulty in releasing to God, she said, I worry too much. Autumn trees, they ask me not to worry. They, like Jesus, suggest trust rather than worry. So often in autumn, I want to go lean my head against a tree and ask, what does it feel like to lose so much? To be so empty, so detached, to take off one's shoes that well and simply to stand and wait for God's refilling. It sounds so simple, so easy. It isn't easy, but it is possible. Our hearts are hungering for the sacrament of letting go. Once we discover that we already possess enough grace to let go, Trust begins to form in the center of who we are. Then we can take off our shoes and stand empty and vulnerable, eager to receive God's next gift. To surrender, to entrust, to empty ourselves, this is not only an act of trust, it also allows us to receive and receive that which our good Father wants to provide. This is the sacrament of letting go, 
The sacrament is just a vehicle of God's grace, a unique vehicle of God's grace. And when we learn to let go somehow, there is capacity to receive more grace from God. I'm not sure about you, but lately I've been walking through my yard and I want to put my head against a tree and not ask, like, what is it like to lose so much? But I want to put my head against my tree and go, are you still alive? Anyone else like having this scary relationship with the plants in your yard, wondering if they're going to come back to life after this freeze? <laughs> Recently, I was uh, just raking the leaves underneath one tree and my sweet neighbor uh, came out and, and uh, it's one of these trees where if you just shake it, all the leaves are going to come down. So I just leave it alone. Kids stay away from it. But I was raking the leaves. My neighbor came out and she asked, when, when do I plan on cutting them back? Hey, Mark, when do you plan on cutting them back? And you know, that question's not like a question, right? It's like a, you should be taking care of your tree. And I uh, responded with some mumbled answer to not acknowledge my ignorance or anything like that, but also to be, you know, Southern nice. And uh, she responded, you know, the only hope that these come back to life is if you cut them way back. And I responded, of, of course, of course, yeah. But the funny thing is, it's been another week, and I haven't done anything to that tree. I haven't cut it back because I'm, I'm, I'm hoping if I just leave it alone, if I keep it as it is, that it'll be okay, it'll be fine. I just like, just act like it's not dying or already dead and it'll be okay. She's probably watching me and my relationship with this dead tree, kind of like we would watch the 90s, you know, 1990s movie, Weekend, with, Weekend at Bernie's. You remember that movie? Uh, where like, they're just trying to acknowledge that this person is still alive. And here I am, like just raking underneath a dead tree, act like, hey, hey neighbor, everything's fine. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. See, I'm afraid to lop off the limbs because I don't want to lose the tree. I don't want the tree to go in shock. I don't want to believe that, that there is a way to have life again without surrendering it. Without surrendering it to a, a renewal I cannot control. Yet this is, seems to be the way it works with Christ. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Perhaps my unwillingness to lose this life is actually withholding the potential of rebirth. Our Savior and our author of our faith, Jesus, he teaches us to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I wonder today, if you were to take stock of your heart, your soul, I wonder what you're clenching on to. I wonder what is the thing that feels delicate, and vulnerable, and uncertain? What is the thing that with clenched white knuckles you aren't able to release to God today? Father, will you meet us in our vulnerability? Will you meet, meet us where we desire control? Will you meet us with your steadfast love that teaches us in 10,000 different ways that you indeed are trustworthy, you're good. So into your, your hands, we commit ourselves, our lives, our plans. We surrender them to you, 
knowing that you care and you love us more than we could ever imagine. May that fill us with courage and imagination. We thank you, Jesus, for promising those who are weary and burdened that you offer rest.